Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, January the 6th, 2020, and this is episode 2,799 of the Survival Podcast. And as I uh, I, I record this, this uh, intro, I've already done the interview for today. But I just I have to mention that apparently uh, a bunch of Trump supporters uh, up in Washington D.C. have gone absolutely ape shit at the Capitol building, and we're really not going to talk about that at all today. But I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge that, and I'm going to tell you that I told my wife yesterday that this was going to happen. That we have a situation now where people have felt completely unheard. They don't feel that they've been given due process. They feel that they've been completely ignored. And uh, this is dangerous. I just want you to understand that this is dangerous. What I've said is that if you ever see true riots from the right, it will make the riots from the left look like the JV team. The, the people on the right, I've always said, know violence better, and they're better at violence, even though they tend to be less likely to use violence. But these are the people, I, honest to God, I've tried to stay out of politics this year, but they feel that they've been ignored, and they feel that they've been wronged, and they don't feel that they've... I don't think they would have had to get a victory for this not to have happened, but they would have had to have felt like it was taken seriously, and they don't, and it wasn't. And um, all I'm going to say is I think whatever you see today, no matter how much it shocks you, you're going to see worse this year. So as always, my friends, keep your powder dry, because the, uh, the shit is about to hit the fan, and this time the shit's coming from the people that just want to be left alone. And a person who just wants to be left alone, who feels they've reached a point where they cannot be left alone, they've held back on their version of violence for a long time, and it's usually pretty ugly. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what the TV says tonight. Today we're going to talk about things uh, a little bit more centering and a little bit more practical, and maybe a type of thing you might want to spend some time doing in the few coming weeks and months and years, and that is getting the hell away from the cities uh, by paddling across the Okefenokee Swamp. Uh, this is about a 35-mile-an-hour trip, a 35-mile-an-hour, 35-mile trip, and uh, it's really easy to end up lost doing it. It takes about three days, and uh, Lee Murphy's joining us. She's an independent artist, uh, been around a, a long time in, in, the, uh, in the art world, um, she does mostly paintings and, and things like that. Uh, and she decided to take a solo paddling trip across the Okefenokee Swamp with just a sit-on-top kayak and the gear she could carry with it and herself. She learned a lot about survival in that trip and a lot about life in general. And she did this completely alone. And it was I think it was the first thing quite to this type of level that she'd ever done. And not everything went great. Not everything went great. So uh, some definite takeaway lessons from it and some larger life lessons from this trip. And we'll have Leon in just a minute. Before we do, I wanted to uh, start off with our quote of the day. And since I started quoting Bill Mollison this week, I figured we'll just run the week out with Bill Mollison quotes. We can uh, come up with plenty of great Bill Mollison quotes. But this one was in one of uh, his videos called The Global Gardener. And uh, I actually have... The uh, the video 
that it's from uh, up on Odyssey today. It's the it's Global Gardener on Urban Permaculture. And uh, in this, at one point, he said, if we lose every university we have, we've lost nothing. But if we lose the forest, we've lost everything. I think it's interesting to me that Bill actually taught in the university system for a while as a professor and had complete and total contempt for the college-university system. And, my friends, I want you to understand that Mr. Mollison's contempt for the university system was being expressed in that particular video. I believe it was 1991 that that video came out. And his contempt was seated in the 1970s as a professor. So it's not... I, I can only imagine what he would think today if he was still around with cry closets and puppies and safety pins and 800 genders and all this other crap. His contempt was just the basic system itself was a destructive system. And I think that's really interesting. You're going to hear Lee today mention uh, as well a little bit about how wasteful the university system can be. And I always have to temper this with, I don't think that everybody that goes to university made a mistake. I do think a, a large majority of people, I would say the majority of people today do, that, that really whatever they've learned, they, they could have done better elsewhere. Um, on that, I just want to remind you again, I have been uploading a, a lot of the old Bill Mollison videos to Odyssey to make sure that they don't ever go away. Uh, in episode four of the Urban Permaculture, or the, the Global Gardener series, the Urban Permaculture one with Bill Mollison was uploaded today, and you can find it on my channel and the Bill Mollison channel I've created there as well. Link in the show notes. With that, let's go ahead and talk about, like I said, better things than, than people storming the Capitol building. I'm sure I'll be talking to you about that tomorrow, though, when we know more about what actually happens tonight. Um, Let's talk about paddling across the Okefenokee Swamp and, and life lessons in general from those types of experiences. And with that, I want to say, hey, Lee, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself uh, starting out. Who, who are you? Where do you come from? How would you get where you are in life? That type of thing, the, 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 the basic uh, summary of your life. <laughs> in 30 seconds or less. Oh. Okay. I'll <laughs> you can take a couple of minutes. I'm just kidding on it. 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The elevator pitch under stress. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, well, I am a full-time uh, visual artist. Uh, I started out as a graphic designer and then just kind of found myself into trying to make my way in the world as a uh, visual artist, making paintings and selling them. I mean, it's a type of entrepreneurial uh profession so to speak and it's own weird way um and then the 2008 crash happened and a few hurricanes rolled through and i discovered the survival podcast because of practical matters um yeah and it was it took me a while to really realize that there is a huge overlap between what artists really kind of need to know and what survivals survivalists and preppers do know um it's astonishing how much there's there is a common interest there um, I actually, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I live not far from a place where you used to live. <laughs> really? Um, really? Yeah. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And we've had a, we've had a few hurricanes come through and after a while you can't ignore the things that we need to know. Um, learning to be a lot more self-reliant. I mean, it's astonishing how artists are self-reliant in certain ways and then not so much in others. <laughs> 
So, like, the main topic we have you to talk on uh, about today is uh, your trip across the Okefenokee, which, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What what spurred that on and kind of what worked and what didn't? It sounds like a hell of an adventure. Oh, it definitely was. Um, yeah, and it was a philosophical one where it, I hadn't really expected it to be one. Um, and I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of the things that you mentioned when you, um, did your, uh, trip on the, um, the Appalachian Trail. Um, you know, years ago I had been up to see it and I'd been around it with some other friends of mine who are artists and they were like, well, they just want to sit in their car and look at it. And I'm like, holy cow, you don't want to get out of the car. You don't want to go look around. You don't want to get your feet wet. Oh no. Oh no. I'm like, oh man. So it stuck in my head for a long time, and I'm like, I want to go paddling out there. And I looked at it and looked it up. And for physical reasons, you know, people have their bucket lists, and a lot of people want to, well, I'm going to run a marathon. Well, my knees and ankles might say something different about that. It, 20 years of, of riding and falling off of and anything a horse can pretty much do to a human being, you know, it's like, okay, my running's out. Um and for the longest time, I had looked into this and be, due to safety reasons and such that so people were not really – you have to get a permit to go out and paddle in a place like that. It's 440,000 acres. Um, you know, there have been a fair amount of people who have disappeared there, and they're like, if you get off the trail, you're nobody's going to find you. Um so yeah, it was diff it was too dangerous for uh, solo paddlers or solo whoever to, to be able to be allowed out there. But they changed that about a year ago. Um, I'm guessing because of uh, technology improvements, and you know, you're strongly suggested to have an EPIRB when you go out there. Anything that you know, some sort of signal if you get in trouble, so they might be able to find you. Uh, so they changed that. But due to weather constraints, it took me up until about early December to finally be able to get through there. Um, you know, they have problems with, you know, rainfall and, um, the Okefenokee is a strange place because they're, what looks like dry land generally is not. They, it, they cause basically the land of the trembling earth. Um, you know, it's, it's an, if you Google something called the Okefenokee X-Files, you can find all kinds of weird stories about <laughs> the place. Uh, Sasquatches and strange lights and strange, you know, all these, it's wonderful to hear about. Great to scare yourself in the middle of the night about. So back to uh, finally being able to do this bucket list items of saying you're going solo uh, in a little 14 foot sit on top kayak and paddling 35 miles, give or take, whatever. I don't know how they managed to figure out how the, cha the trails change and mm. stuff. So it's about 35 miles from uh, east to west across the swamp and the outfitter that helped me launch my kayak and he's like all right there you go <laughs> no more light for you and you hit the 35 miles across that away um so yeah it was a really good learning experience um and i've had so many people say i could never do that i'm like well how do you know unless you try um you know you have to it's it's a i've from what i've learned from previous podcasts that you know, the function stacking of, of the things, you can only keep a few things with you in such a small boat, so everything's got to really count. Uh, and the whole, um, my, I forgot to bring things, I forgot to bring my lighter, my matches were wet, so I, you know, it was cold food. Mm. And you survive these things. Um, you know, you can't trust a weather report, so you have to plan for these things. And if you have just a tiny little boat, you have to carry all your water with you, all your food. 
everything you bring in with you within for you know for there's some things you literally are not going to bring back with you but that's <laughs> anything man made that comes with you has to go out um so yeah and it, it was uh, despite the weather forecast uh, I get out there and there's ice on the top of my kayak and I'm like oh boy spent a lot of money on a really expensive very lightweight camping uh backpacking um uh hammock and mosquito net and all these different things and it's like with my I was so glad I brought a wooby I learned about a wooby <laughs> from you <laughs> <laughs> for people I guess who um haven't been listening for a long time I guess you call them poncho liners yeah that's what they are but um, there was the the soldiers uh very affectionate term for the poncho liner was the wooby <laughs> oh yeah so I had my little $20 wooby um thankfully uh because my $200 plus fancy hammock um those things are great, but they don't keep you warm. Mm-mm. And I learned that with a with a ten dollar emergency bivy bag, with a twenty dollar will be shoved into it. Um, that was what kept me going. And a few of those wonderful seventy five cent hand warmers. I oh. mean, you know, <laughs> it's the stuff chemist, I learned about the chemist that figured those things out how to make iron rust fast and turn into to heat deserves a Nobel Prize. Those things are oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Light a candle for his spirit in heaven. Whatever you want to say. That yeah. Between, it's astonishing how the expensive gear can let you down and back in the whole spirit of two is one, one is none. Especially for the most highly prioritized things like food, water, heat. Um, that I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, if you have limited space, you prioritize the most important things and then have backups. Um, and it is funny because I didn't realize, too, and for anybody else who may not understand this, um, that even though in certain areas where it may be below freezing, there are still mosquitoes that will chew you up. I mean, that's just a part of, the, of you know, southern United States. It's just what happens. And I'm like, who knew? Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, abandon the expensive equipment, uh, flip over a picnic table, get behind the wind, and crawl into that. And that was that was really um, you know, learning how to be resilient. Um, yeah, I mentioned, um, I learned also from you about Nassim Taleb and the anti-fragile, uh, philosophy stuff. And like, okay, are you going to sit here and be gripe about it and bemoan that, oh crap, what am I going to do now? Or figure out something to make it my life a little less sucky. But, you know, back to the whole philosophical thing is, you know, you really don't know what you're capable of. Um, I, you, you can sit behind a computer screen or listen to a podcast or anything like that and say, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. But could you? Um, we learn lessons. I think you've mentioned this a bunch of times with we learn lessons by actually doing it. I mean, you can sit and watch a video all you want, but if you're I mean, out there learning, okay, I can stand this freezing weather. Um, I can do this. I can paddle. I think it was three days. Um, first day was taking everything in my kayak and everything, um, you know, I, I don't, I didn't weigh it all out. But six and a half hours paddling 12 miles, once you get in that boat, you're not getting out until you reach the platform because there really is no dry land. So, you know, once you're committed to it, you go. Um, and I guess it's what I have never been on the Appalachian Trail. I suspect I might find that out soon because now I'm addicted to these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm reminded of, of this, you know, of how uh, Dixie Mills started out. 
uh, I think that's her name, the homemade wonderlust. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm like, Oh, Oh, maybe this is how she started. Um, <laughs> Get the adventure going. But, yeah, it's, you know, we. I've, I've had a bunch of people say, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, well, why couldn't you do it? You don't know unless you try. How, how, um, long, this, how long were you out there? Like, how long did it take to, to complete? Um, well, they have to, you have to get permits to go to certain areas because they kind of keep a track on you where you're going to be in case there's trouble. If you don't turn up, they know where to at least start looking for you. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was three days. And the um, the game the um, not game warden the um, the the people in charge of managing the um, the the refuge uh, they have to give you a permit basically and sign you up for okay you're going to be on this wooden platform at this night and that wooden platform at that night and she said first of all when I told her I was going to be on a sit talk kayak and she had this town tone of voice like. Okay, I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's what I have. I'm going to use it. <laughs> so, and you know, very skeptical, but they're like, well, you know, we can't specifically tell you not to do that. Okay. Um. So yeah, um, I was there for uh, three days, and she did say, well, for the first two days, you're pretty much going to have that whole 440,000 acres to yourself. Mm. You better be careful because it's going to cost you a lot of money if you decide that you need if you need help if we can find you, it's going to cost a lot of money to get you out of there um so it duly noted <laughs> so yeah um by the end of the third day i started see people seeing people coming in from the uh west side of the park or park reserve preserve whatever it is um but yeah it was astonishing um the it's it, it's it's hard to describe um people are like how could you be out in the, uh, out in the in the swamp at night i'm like well how can you be out anywhere at night you just are and it was amazing there was enough light to see because once again my uh my phone died after what this right in the middle of the second day because i didn't bring a charging cord and it's astonishing the things that you survive that you make stupid mistakes and all right all right you know the universe has told me don't do that stupid stuff again um but yeah, it's it just being out there in the swamp and hearing just everything coming alive at night was astonishing. Um, and it was, I don't even have the words for it. Um, the way the birds come alive and, and the owls and the sandhill cranes, uh, it was too cold for there to be um, alligators out and around. But you did see, I mean, I did see evidence of them. But I think I counted there's 11 different species of animals that could kill or <laughs> pretty much ruin your day out there but they're just being themselves and they leave you alone um they just recently um started reintroducing panthers into the area and the outfitters like well you kind of need to be aware of that um i didn't hide the fact that i was carrying a gun he didn't say anything i didn't i didn't volunteer anything and that was a fine thing to do <laughs> so <laughs> that was at least that sort of a comfort to have with me um, I don't know if you want to have that, you know, I don't know if that, if I should be admitting that on the air, but it's too late. That's yeah. It's, I don't think you'll have any knocks on your door or anything from that. Um, <laughs> you kind of mentioned in your notes about the reality of doing like personal best things and how a lot of times people that are doing adventures like this and trying to make achievements, like they have unseen supporters 
And, yeah. and when you don't, it's a totally different situation. And the problem with that can be that the person that you see as the example is doing something that it looks like they're doing it by themselves, but they're supported in ways that you don't know about, and therefore emulating them can be dangerous. Absolutely. Definitely. And, and the, uh, for example, um, you know, I've seen people where, you know, examples where they'll come through Florida and they're, you know, running down A1A is in support of this. And you see them on the news, um, just bravely going down the road on their bike, on their, um, you know, they're running or even on horseback or something like that. But you don't see behind the camera, there's like an RV full of support crew. Um, point being that when I decided to do this, there's a lot of stuff that I had to take in, you know, who's going to look after my place while I'm gone. Um, there is from on a car for on the, in the road, you know, if you were to drive from one side of the park to the other, it's like a hundred and 110, 150, some well over a hundred miles to get from one side to the other. Well, in order for me to have, you know, to, I had to park my car. Uh, on the west side and then pay someone to take me and my boat all the way to the launch point part on the eastern side of the park. Well, that's not cheap. Um, and, you know, having to make sure that I, I there's no one you can call for, say, hey, come bail me out. I have a problem here. Um, and it is. It can be very misleading. And um, I would just watch for the first time that movie called Into the Wild. And regardless of how accurate that really is, I mean, I've heard and read stories about people who want to emulate what that guy's doing, even though he died, um, yeah. Yeah. and getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but it is in some ways, too. I mean, it's ironic funny. Uh, and it, it, it is kind of unfair for people to want to do that. Uh, I didn't realize until I talked to people who'd run marathons that pretty often people don't run them the whole way. <laughs> and uh, I don't think we're really doing a lot of people much. Um, it's kind of like how you see it's so very much of a cliche where people are showing off who they are on Instagram and Facebook, all the wonderful things they're doing, but you don't really see what went into making that shot happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a ton of that on Instagram. I mean, there's people now, they have whole businesses where they they basically rent clothing so that these people can be made up. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, and it looks like, okay, this person has like this, this multi-million dollar wardrobe and, and, and they don't, uh, but mm -hmm. that's pretty harmless. What you're talking about can be dangerous when people don't fully take it in. I know quite a few people who have been involved in various different versions of what we call reality TV, which I refer to as non-reality TV mm -hmm. in some of these kind of like wilderness type situations at all. And a few of them are Pretty much you, what you see is what you get. Most of them, the guy that's filming it sitting there eating a cheese sandwich, and when the dude <laughs> is done being filmed trying to trap a freaking possum, he's eating a cheese sandwich too, right? I'm sorry. Like, let's, If somebody else is doing the filming, do you really think the entire support crew doing the filming is, is roughing it and trying to live off of trapped rats? Of course they're not, right? And, but they yeah. get this image to you. And, you know, so they're not hiking through the wilderness. They're freaking, they have vehicles, mm -hmm. right? Like, And I can tell you some of the bigger name shows. That's exactly, it looks like these, you know, I won't say the name, right? Because then maybe the person that told me will be known. 
But, hmm. you know, two people hiking through the wilderness in a lost scenario for miles and miles and miles trying to find safety in a real-world scenario, but everything is filmed by somebody else. How the hell do you think they got there? Right? You oh, know yeah. what I mean? You think they, they rappel in on a helicopter once a day and then, you know, are, are airlifted out? No, they're driving freaking Humvees. And when yeah. you – and that is – I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very important thing – If people want to do these adventures to understand it, I think biting off a small piece first. If you want to, if you want to section hike or through hike the AT, then you know, pick a section that's 30 miles. Do a one nighter, 15 miles a day, or do you know, 10 miles in three days, something like that. Get the feel for it, and then because you'll learn. I, I imagine you would agree with this. You'll learn so much that you wouldn't learn. Oh, yeah. Until you did that, right? Because some of the things you left or messed up or whatever maybe made you unhappy over a three-day trip. But I imagine if that trip was a 20-day trip, that could have went really bad for you. Absolutely. If it had gotten – I mean, we it, we, it had gone well on freezing, and it was just barely below freezing, but – If it had gotten significantly worse, it would have yeah it would have been hypothermic. There would not have had the resources to bounce back from that for sure. Uh, I just watched that thing on Netflix called The Dawn Wall. Uh, I think or something along that where they're climbing some part of um, yeah, it was something in Yosemite and it, you same thing. At least they admitted showing mm -hmm. the people rappelling down the wall, you know, watching the climbers from a camera. Um, and it, you're right. I think it can be extraordinarily misleading. And in a way, it really helped for there being such a time lag between where I decided I wanted to do this and getting permission to do it. Um, so I bought books about it. I learned about, you know, how to, how to manage my kayak, how to, uh, outfit it the best way I think I could, getting the right gear. What do I do if this goes wrong? What do I need if that if if you know what do I need to back up with this? Uh, can I even put the doggone thing on the top of my car? Uh, all this stuff, yeah. Are there some things that you do differently if you did this again or on a longer trip? Like, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking of is limited capacity for carrying stuff, but. If there was something that floated behind you with a rope tied to it, <laughs> and you could tow some stuff with you, you could have more stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't realize until because I was the wor the water was very tannic. I did have a backup system for one of those life straws, mm -hmm. and I would have that. That was the heaviest thing that kept that brought with I brought with me is uh, all my all the water I needed, and I didn't I did not even know how much water I drank during a day. Or what I needed to drink. So that was uh, that was once again that would have been a very expensive lesson had I been out there even longer. Um, yeah, because yeah, you can't mess around with your hydration at all. Uh, I've since learned that I think if you're only five percent dehydrated, you lose twenty percent of your muscular strength, um, and that creeps up on you, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I think I, you know it. I I would have researched a little bit more about. I mean, yes, you can drink the water. It's probably not ideal. Um, there probably would have changed a lot of the the food that I would have brought along with me. Uh, yes, you can fish out there, but I you know I don't know Shinola about fishing anywhere, especially there in. You've, I'm sure you know way more stories than I do about people who think they're going to rely and live off the land, and they don't. No. 
No. <laughs> yeah, you can't take anything anything for granted with something like this. And you, you're right. You know, Every think about it this way. The Mountain Men, the original Mountain Men that went west. These guys, if if there was a group of people that could figure out how to club something, stab something, shoot something, or beat something to death, it was them. And, mm -hmm. and they all ate an awful lot of Bannock, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a reason, because there's not always something available. So these were people that were out like fur trappers, you know, and what have you. So they made all their money off of fur. Well, I guarantee you, they weren't throwing the, the beaver away after the, they pelted it. And a beaver has a lot of meat, and they were still eating Bannock, and their entire purpose was to trap beaver. Mm -hmm. So that tells you that you don't always have the ability to acquire something to eat to keep yourself going. And the, the dehydration point is valid. And the really scary thing is how fast you go from 5% dehydrated and 20% muscle loss to about 7% dehydrated and 40% muscle loss. Oh, yeah. And, and then how quickly you go to incapacitation. It is, mm -hmm. and in some ways... It can be more dangerous in cooler weather because you are not as aware of the problem. So you 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 will dehydrate faster mm -hmm. in in hot weather, but you will let yourself dehydrate more often in cooler weather. Oh yeah, and being surrounded by the wet, by water, it's just like okay, there's this visual cue of you're around water all the time. Yeah, and these little tiny things add back to like what you're talking about with the mountain men and trapper. We only have the stories of the people who actually survived. Lived, yeah. <laughs> There's a ton more that didn't, and they had an awful lot of good lessons to learn, but we didn't hear them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's like it, it, people were like, you know, that I've talked to about this. I'm like, you know, at the end of the three days, I get in my car and go home and, you know, clean up and go back and live my lives. With the real people, like you said, that there are people that have lived out there for centuries, and they had nowhere else to go but there. I mean, that to me is, is pretty, is the most amazing thing. Um, you know, they didn't have grocery stores. That's all they had was there. Um, that's to me are the best lessons. I mean, it's for, you know, it's, you know, we can, we can LARP, we can role play, we can kind of go out there and see how it is to learn our personal best, but there's still that disconnect where we're never really going to know how it was like for people to actually not have modern conveniences and still survive, like you said, with the mountain men. Um, I mean, we kind of, we can kind of approximate that, but it's you know still worth looking into. Well, there's some places where you thought you were really prepared, material or skill set wise, and somewhere along the way you realize, boy, I'm I'm glad this is three days and not twelve. Mm -hmm. And not my life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Especially, you know, the first, you know, I, I because my phone conked out so quickly and I didn't, you know, have forgot my charging cord, had my nice little uh, anchor, um, uh, one of those little uh, battery packs that you talk about, too, yeah. but with no cord, no cord, it doesn't matter, you know, just empty weight. But, yeah, the first, once again, I think it was about six and a half hours to make it 12 miles. And I think it's I probably people who... Um, do uh, the AT and stuff like that. When you're in the middle of it, your feet hurt, your back hurts, you're tired. Um, you know, all these other things. I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. This is the pits. This is horrible. And then after a few days or a week or so after you're done, I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. I think I might want to do it again. You know, we, you know, when you get, when you get a little bit of distance from what's going on, you're like, yeah, that was really kind of cool. 
Um, and I think that could be also a, a, a weakness point because we forget the troubles that we had and the things that we forgot and um, go right back into getting myself into more trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the with the gear stuff, it, we, we had a thing in the military called the table of organization and equipment. And every vehicle had one. Every toolbox had one. Every uh Every mission would have one for the personal soldier, for the duffel bag, for the rucksack, etc. And you go through that, and you check and double-check every piece of gear. Like, I mean, down to, there's supposed to be three spanner wrenches on, on in this box, on this truck, and one's missing. Where is it? Um, mm. and, and, and that was a lesson that when I was 19 and had a sergeant screaming in my face because I had one less pair of socks than I was supposed to have. <laughs> in a duffel bag that looked like it was about to literally explode. Um, I wasn't complete. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't not get it at all, but I was, I didn't have complete appreciation for. And mm. I imagine like that type of mindset now to you makes an awful lot of sense as well. Um, because that type of procedural thing prior to departure would have avoided some of your unhappiness. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I and once again, I mean, I've done art I mean, as a freelance artist, I've done art festivals for years. And same thing is if you don't have every single bit of gear that needs to get loaded on that trailer, you're going to miss out on income. Um, you know, it it's mm. it's very crucial and this was new to me and I used to do horse shows the same way is, you know, if there's just one thing missing here or if you don't have something that's kind of sort of that will fill a bill, your whole trip is wasted. Um, it's not the same thing, I would guess. I'm, I've never been in the military, but, you know, lives are depending on it for what you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, um, it's good to survive these mistakes, and you learn them. I, once again, the wisdom of the hands. I was looking that up the other day. You know, it's it's one thing to, to roll down a list on a screen or a piece of paper, but the wisdom of the hands when you're actually saying, all right, this is a problem, what do I do now? It's the best way to learn if you survive it. How does how does like the creative outlook of an artist kind of fit in with all of this? Um, I think you know it's it's something I've been writing about a lot too is learning how to be more resourceful um, and working with your hands, being in the real world about these things that. Okay, this is something that another human being has done. I'm a human being. Um, there is a a, a little trite little saying that I've I've worked on for a long time that okay if it's humanly possible I'm human therefore it's possible uh, this is not insurmountable if somebody else has done it um, but then again you know it's humanly possible to make mistakes and I will do that too um, to literally okay you know I'm creative enough and and I've survived this long I can figure this out like flipping over the um, they these sleeping platforms have a primitive picnic table and, you know, it's just a big, big dock out in the middle of nowhere. And, okay, we've got a gale force wind, blowing rain. Um, it's coming on freezing. And as, as the hours get close to the dawn, it is getting colder and colder and colder. What I've got is not working. <laughs> so <laughs> flip over the picnic table, get behind it, get out this emergency bivy bag that for some reason my intuition told me to throw in here. Um, realize that these emergency bivy bags don't, 
you know, they, they keep your heat in, but they don't let your natural respiration, um, out where it gets really wet in there. And then I realized, okay, these whoobies are, they're nice and warm, but they're not windproof. Okay. This, what they're made for is to go up against something, um, impermeable like a poncho. So, you know, being creative with these, with what little I had, fortunately I had what it took to, um, make my life a whole lot less unpleasant. Um, but yeah, it just kind of understanding that, you know, that, um, try, you know, I'm trying to, ex- um, work on the idea of writing about how the Zen of the pencil, um, writing and drawing are different things somewhat. I know I'm rambling here, but I'm, I'm no, getting okay. to a point where, <laughs> um, I look at the creativity of being an artist, whereas it's critical thinking without words. You're working with things, working with materials, solving problems. See, usually t- in my understanding, um, writing is more of a linear thing. Um, mathematics, clearly a lot more linear, but as the philosoph- philosophy and artist, you take weird things and put them together to solve a problem that may not be something that logic would bring to you. But when you start becoming a little bit more creative and finding odd solutions for things, that I think is all to the better. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm actually starting to write a lot more about, which is ironic, you know, a non, nonverbal things of, you know, how artists can look at things and solve problems that a lot of people don't think of, but writing about it. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. And I, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll go back to that you said at the beginning of that segment was that if something's humanly possible, I'm a human and I can do it. I think that's a great idea. I think that's, that's a great way to look at the world. And I think more people should do it. I also will temper it with the discussion we had about how things can be dangerous if they're perceived wrong. So the other side of the, if it's humanly possible and some other humans done it, then I can do it too. Can I run the 50 meter dash? Of course I can. Of course I can. Can I run the 50-meter dash in like the 5.56 seconds that's the world record? No. And guess what? You know when I'll be able to do that? Either never, or maybe if we get like magic bodies in the spiritual realm, I'll be able to do it in infinitesimally, you know, under the millisecond, right? (laughs) Otherwise, I can't run 50 meters in 5.56 seconds. I've seen me try to do it. It's not going to happen. And so in all of these things where we look at, just because someone else did it, that means I can do it. Yes, but. Like, what are the mitigating yeah, circumstances? How do you adjust <laughs> so that it comes down to your level? Like, can mm-hmm. anybody climb a mountain? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can anybody climb K2? No. There are people, no. like, if you said, I'm going <laughs> to climb K2, okay, well, you're going to die. Like, I, I, and I say mm-hmm. that with, like, no, like, I will bet money that you're going to die. I can look at you and say, unless you have this incredible, like, three-year plan to get into the right shape and condition yourself and get used to altitude changes. If you go climb K2 right now, if they let you, you're going to die. And so we all need to kind of figure out, like, where is that for us so that we, we don't shriek away from challenges like this, but yet we adapt the situation to where we at least give ourselves a reasonable chance of coming back in one piece. And, and that's kind of the first yeah. rule of survival. Don't die. Right? That's, that's, yeah. What's the first rule of survival? <laughs> Don't die. 
If you if you mm-hmm. if you roll two, see roll number one, right? Like so, don't die and then don't die, and then we can talk about comfort and you know materials and things. But rule number one, don't die, and some of these things can kill you. Like you mentioned in the end oh, of yeah. the wild story, like yeah, he's dead. Mm-hmm. I want to go do yeah. what he did. No, you don't. <laughs> you at least want to make a course adjustment before you start on that path, because mm-hmm. we saw where that that map leads to a place that says death with a giant skull and crossbones. And if you can't mm-hmm. see that, you're not ready yet. You know. Yeah, we and we really only know the author's interpretation of that as well, too. So, in, once there's yet another step step different from what really did happen. So how can we really emulate? But yeah, another thing I would add to the whole humanly possible thing is that like you were saying too, that there are a lot of bad things that humans do deliberately that are humanly possible. And we have to be mindful of that as well. Uh, and that's generally doesn't go over well with people that I talk to about that too, but yeah. And um, I would add to once again with, you know, just because, um, You know, some massive, uh, massively uh, successful athlete can do something doesn't mean I can. Um, but back to the, somebody's uh, where I've had it said to me that like, oh, I can't believe I could never do that. I'm like, well, how do you know? Yeah. And then I would add to with a little bit about what you're talking about with training. Uh, I started just started getting to the gym a couple uh, back in early 2018, and I found it I do pretty well with that as well. But the point that they say in the gym is going to failure. You go in like in a safe environment, just like you're talking about with training, and with somebody who actually knows what's going on, and you push yourself to where, yeah, my muscles, I can't pick that barbell up anymore. Okay, I'm not injured. My muscles have gone to failure, and then this is when I sit down and relax and hydrate and um, go on to something else and learning Yeah, you. The humanly possible thing is, is we don't know really what's we're capable of, and so if we don't know that, we don't know what's going to kill us. You know, I think it's a it's a it's a responsibility a lot of us have that we ignore that we don't even know even close to what our physical and mental and perceptual limits are. Um, and I think we're doing ourselves a lot of services when we don't know what somebody's for darn sure going to tell us what they think it should be. And look where we are. <laughs> so, I mean, people don't realize if you have a talent for growing things, if you have a talent for, you know, fill in the blank. Um, if you just say, well, I could never do that. Well, do you know? I mean, it's okay to try and fail at these things if it's not going to kill you. Absolutely. Um, and back Absolutely. to the, you know, Artists, we, that's, that's a lot of things that artists that a lot of people don't realize. They only see the, the nice paintings that we make or the nice sculptures or whatever it is. They don't see the 10 that went on the burn pile in the backyard. Um, yeah, that's true in so many things, right? <laughs> like I remember mm-hmm. one, one class we did. Nick Ferguson and I were walking through the uh, woods up in West Virginia, and we were like saying, okay, well, here's this plant. This is edible. This plant isn't edible, but it's good for medicine. This plant over here is edible, but don't eat it now. We were, you know, this is what it is, and this is a scientific name, and this is, a, and, and so we went through like about 20 plants like that. And uh, this one guy goes, "How do you know every plant out here?" And I'm like, "Well, did you notice the 50 plants we walked by that we didn't say anything about?" 
Yeah, we don't know <laughs> shit about those plants. We don't know anything about like, and, and I might even be able to look at it and say, you know, based on the leaf form, that's probably a legume or whatever. But I don't, I'm not, I don't know enough that I'd put it in my mouth, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, and so it looks like, oh, this person knows every plant. They know the Latin names. No, I knew 20 plants. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of back to your thing. Like, if a human can do it, then I can do it because I'm a human. Anybody can learn 20 plants. And if you mm -hmm. learn 20 useful plants that are common in the area that you are, you too can look like an expert. But what you know is 20 plants. And so mm -hmm. not being intimidated because somebody else looks like they know something, that is that is hugely important. And I imagine that that's probably really true in the world of artwork too because art's subjective. Like you could – I've literally known people that call themselves artists and they're like, man, I'm not as good as – this person and I look up what that person does and I'm like, well, maybe I'm an art idiot, but I think that sucks. And I like what you do. So like comparing yourself in that way to somebody else doesn't make sense in art. It doesn't make sense in, in knowledge or education. We could certainly have people we want to be like and emulate, but in the end we are our own judge. And I think sometimes we're our worst own critic. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all icebergs. We only see a little bit that shows in the surface. Um, and so, yeah, how is it you know, that we, we could compare ourselves to someone we don't even hardly even know? Uh, and even, you know, what, what part of our personal iceberg that sticks out in the world that people see us, social media and what we see online is even just a tiny percentage of that. So you're right. It's the, yeah. the com comparisons are just crazy. Yeah, it makes uh, me think of like a completely stupid movie that seems like it has nothing to do with this. Uh, but it was the one about uh, racing with uh, Will Ferrell, uh, Ricky Bobby. And he, he's running around his whole life saying, if you're not first, you're last. If you're not first, you're last. It was like this incredible only piece of wisdom his father ever gave him. And when his father finally comes back and he tells him, he's like, where did you get that? He goes, you told me that. I've lived my whole life based on that. He's like, I was high when I said that, right? And it was like, you know, this, this was seen as this incredibly important thing. And, and, and the guy was stoned when he said it. Maybe that piece of art that you think is so great, the guy was stoned when he did it and he can't do it again. You don't know. I mean, you, you got to go on with what you have and, and, and do your best. And, I mean, challenging yourself with adventures like this is a great way to do that. Um, I would also think that, like, it should be something that would spur your creativity, and that's like everything as an artist, right? Yes, yes. And uh, I was just talking about this the other day. Um, you know, I, I've made no few um, unhappy people with realizing, well, you understand about schooling is, but art school is probably the worst possible use of, of the worst possible choice of going to school. <laughs> because you're competing, you're you're in the world, you're in a professional world with people with zero schooling, and they quite often do way better, and they don't have the debt. Um, but yeah, the, the critical thinking on these sort of things too is be able to take a step back and like, okay, this is one person's view of this, um, and it's you don't have to accept it hook, line, and sinker. It's okay to disagree, and in the art world, it's got I could go on for hours about that too. It's massively infective with you know, the woke church and statism and such like that, too. And it, it is unfortunate, but that's just how the world is. So, you know, getting out and challenging myself in things that are not necessarily art related. Um, you know, like you said, there's a there's different ways to perceive it, because I was making the point the other day that what is when you think of the word drawing, you know, it could be anything uh, you draw on a piece of paper, a permaculturist draws on the land. 
uh, with, you know, basically a lot of what art is, is taking your inner dialogue and bringing it outside and expressing it. Um, it could be anything. Um, you know, you, a, a blacksmith draws with metal. Um, you know, it's just, you know, not just with permaculture, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to describe how wide you could take that particular analogy. Well, I mean, um, uh, you bring up permaculture there. Mollison in one of his lectures said something to the effect of, "So we've de we've determined that we know absolutely nothing of the world's substance and a little bit about its form, mm -hmm. and and that everything we think we know about substance, we know nothing, but we sort of know what form is." But we can't even measure a thing unless we make a thing to measure a thing, and then we create scale out of our own mind so that nothing is measurable. And nothing natural can ever be measured because by the time you finish measuring it, it would change. It's changed. It's changed. <laughs> and what's your scale? So are you measuring a leaf? Well, are you measuring how long it is, or are you measuring the total surface area of a leaf? And based on what scale? So if you're measuring the scale so that each little ridge that's – only perceivable by a microscope can be measured. Now what? And until you make yeah, something to measure a thing, you can't measure a thing. And like that is that is like a mind-blowing way to look at things, and then you realize that all we are all really doing is playing with form. We're just playing with form. When I'm out doing an earthworks project and I'm putting in swales, I'm playing with form. When you are drawing something or painting something you're playing with form and you're using a certain means and medium to express that and we're trying to express a substance and everything comes from our our attempt to explain something we don't even understand and it, it, it's it's pretty amazing and that that kind of changes the way you look at everything including how to survive how to plan a trip how to run a business what have you Yeah, it, in in a good way, it uh, an ideal, not an the ideal, but one good um, result of that is it gives you a little bit of that. Once again, it, it, the I'm getting a little woo here of the inner dialogue where you can sit back and observe. Okay, what is my reason for doing this? And back to the whole critical thinking thing of you know, of course, and add that to um, it, expressing your effect on the world have the form like you were talking about is like step back okay is this the way it really looks is this the way i really want it to look is this expressing what i wanted it to do um is this you know my my inner dialogue that makes me do this push this pencil on the paper dig this um swale in the dirt and stand back and give yourself a little bit of space inside and outside of you say okay i'm sitting back here is this what i wanted to Uh, express and if not how do I do it differently um, and I think that's a lot of the philosoph philosophical point of artists which I would like to you know share with the world more um, being able to say okay I don't have to accept what I just did here is the right thing to do how do I change and redirect um, you know back to the whole thing of you don't have to you always use words to um, practice and refine critical thinking um so yeah i'm just starting to learn a little bit more about permaculture it does remind me a lot of my old british nan and the way they used to do their um survival survival um gardening you know when they were tenants on the land um 
yeah, it's 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 a marvelous thing they could spend just you know a lifetime thinking about it and refining, and um, it's a wonderful thing. I think more you know to share it forward, take what I've learned and share it forward. On that, let's talk as we get near toward the end here a, a little bit more about the Okefenokee. And and that being mm-hmm. like a marathon for people, right? People say they want to run a marathon, and mm-hmm. a lot of times that's a metaphor, right? And so yeah. whether it be what you did or finding their own thing, how do you think people should go about like finding that thing and and worrying more about what it does for them than like doing it so it'll impress somebody? Because I know the people that have been most successful, even people that have been most successful promoting themselves. They really did it for themselves. Like you mentioned Dixie. Dixie didn't go out to become a social media personality mm-hmm. while hiking the trail. She went to hike mm-hmm. the trail, posted to social media, and became a social – like it just kind of sort of naturally happened, um, which is why I think mm-hmm. it worked for her because I think faking that is really, really hard. Uh, being authentic yeah. <laughs> is, 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 is the way to go. Um, but how do people find like the meaningful, challenging, and beneficial – thing for them to, to, to do this? Um, I think it's, you know, being okay with the outcome no matter what. Um, I think that's, you know, that whatever it is that, that um, resonates with your inner dialogue, because that's what, you know, it has to work for you first, like you were saying, that it's it's something that, that for me anyway, was if I tried and failed, then that's okay. It's what I was going to do no matter what. Um, and if I look like an idiot, uh, I'm starting to get used to the idea that people are going to, and you've, you've mentioned this a lot of times too, that no matter what you do, people are going to have an opinion and they're going to try to beat you up on it no matter what. That just people are going to do that no matter what. And it has to just be something that rings with your, you know, your inner values or my inner values. This is what I'm going to do. And people think I'm crazy for doing it. Fine. Um, you know, once again, it's just something, you know, you have to do and it's, I don't know, just being a little bit more true to, once again, listening to that inner dialogue. Uh, I just almost through reading this book on, what is it, the Dancing Wooly Masters, and I'm like, this is really strange. But, hmm. you know, trusting, you know, if you really have a pretty good feel for your instincts that are going to try to keep you out of trouble, um, you know, we've, we're, what, how many thousands of generations we've gotten us this far, um, you know, the people who are stupid didn't, you know, they didn't reproduce. Um, but then there's, you know, you have to keep that in reason we, as well. We, we changed that little equation over the last couple <laughs> hundred years. We yeah. have, uh, we're in desperate need of some chlorine in the gene pool at this point. But, um, you know, you're right on that one. Too. We do have some yeah. good base genetics there, though. Like up until a few mm-hmm. generations ago, if you were, if you were really stupid, uh, you were proof that Darwin was on to something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, no one's going to come bail you out. Nobody's coming to rescue you on these things, too. And I think we do. You're right. We do have a lot of people that think, oh, well, if I mess up, somebody's going to come get me. Somebody's going to rescue me. I want to behave like a spoiled child, you know, and um, something's going to, you know, show up. This is a Disney movie. No, it's not. Um, But I think, too, that, you know, learning more, I think, Back to the whole thing of learning what you truly are capable of by increments. Study, uh, practice, um, try and fail at smaller things like this three, like you said, this three days. I mean, you know, there's, it, there were some risks, but it was nowhere near as like, once again, going out for a month. Um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have survived it. But learning by increments and building up like lifting weights. 
And then you can pretty much understand, get a better, you know, I don't know if you'll ever truly understand, but get a better idea of what you can and cannot do and help that uh, set limits on your inner voice of, you know, your inner dialogue of what you feel like you need to do on this planet while we're here. And, you know, the back to the non-aggression principle, keep that in mind, but also don't hurt people and don't take their stuff either. Uh, <laughs> You know, try to try to keep the balance of all these particular philosophical ideas and and see where it takes you. It takes everybody. Um, that's probably one of the best things I've learned so far. I'm um, hearing your notes. Ain't you, over yet. <laughs> hearing your notes, you mentioned uh, Nassim Talib, who is just an awesome thinker, and you learned about him on the show. Mm -hmm. and I imagine that was probably from a quote of the day, uh, probably about Bitcoin. But that dude. Um, Really, you, you mentioned he changed your outlook. I think that that's somebody I'm going to have to feature a lot more uh, quote of the days from because he's a pretty fascinating guy. One mm -hmm. of one of my favorite quotes by him is he said something to the effect is there's the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. <laughs> <laughs> Complacency, yeah. He also yeah, said academia, can... academia is to knowledge what prostitution is to love. <laughs> oh, yeah, and those are some of the nicer things he yeah. has to say. I mean, I think you mentioned his book uh, back when the Black Swan was uh, – I think that was the the most recent one he did. And okay. I don't know if any of your newer listeners under you know, the Black Swan are these strange events that we cannot um, we cannot predict and how – we can't predict what they when they come and how their effect is going to be on humanity. Um, and now I think the last one – Uh, he has a whole other series of things. Skin in the Game is the last one I read, which is, I mean, you know, it, it, it pretty much, it's a wonderful um, but very bitter lesson on a lot of things that are playing out right now. Um, you know, we're being controlled by people who don't have skin in the game. They make decisions for us that will not affect them. I'm like, that's a whole other hour of things to talk about right there. Um Have you read Skin in the Game? I have not, no. That's a lot of the same things that he covers, too. But, yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not tasty medicine, but it's definitely um, beneficial for sure. Yeah, you've you got me convinced that maybe someday I need to do a whole show just on Tlaib. I think that might be a, mm -hmm. a really interesting show to do. But I've, I've enjoyed speaking with you today. You want to tell people... Uh, You've got a website, right, with your art on it where people can uh, learn a little bit yes. more about you? Mm -hmm. Yes, my website is artbyleemurphy.com. Uh, I spell my name L-E-I-G-H, which I answer to every version of that name, but that's how it's spelled. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook of Art by Lee Murphy. Uh, I'm only in one gallery right now in Naples, Florida, but that hopefully will change if the gallery business doesn't completely go. Hmm. Um Yeah, and it's one of these things too where I try to help other artists to, you know, look beyond their small little art world, you know, get out of our comfort zone. It can only do us better if we are safe and careful about it. Well, again, I appreciate you spending about an hour with us today and uh thanks thanks for joining in with us today. It has been a privilege. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, that was a fun conversation and uh, like I said, it's uh it's really interesting to listen to people that go through an experience like that and, and how differing, differing it might be from what they had in mind. And I really want to reemphasize, if you want to take some adventures like these, do it. But really do your homework before you completely commit. 
Like I said yesterday, the Steve Harvey speech on you got to jump if you want to get somewhere. So at some point you got to jump, but be careful what you're jumping into, right? You know, jumping out of the frying pan into the fryer type scenario it can be a real thing. And don't ever underestimate the, the part of the conversation that Lee and I had about how sometimes when you see somebody document something, you don't see. You don't see the support system behind them. And you don't realize that what you're looking at isn't reality. And I'm telling you, I have firsthand knowledge of several different um, well-known reality, non-reality shows where what you see and what is going on are so divorced from each other that non-reality would be the words. And I, I don't mind that as long as people understand that. Let's, let, let me give you an example of one that, that is totally unrelated to wilderness survival and things, at least 99% of it is, uh, moonshiners. Moonshiners is, is the type of thing that could get people into a different kind of trouble if you believe what you're seeing on moonshiners. They don't make, except for one, I guess the one dude went legit or whatever, you know, but they don't, when you see these people making moonshine in the woods and stuff like that, they don't make a single drop of moonshine. I'm not even saying that the people that are featured in that, that, that series don't know how to make good moonshine and they, they might, they might be who they really are. They might be just actors. I really don't know those people. Right? It's irrelevant. What I'm telling you is when you see the two old guys out in the woods fighting with each other, they finally get they're still running and it's running, and they're like, hmm, that's good. It's water. That's how they don't go to federal prison. And uh, to, to, to make this abundantly clear, I can't remember what they eventually called the show, but there was a guy and his family from Pennsylvania, and they did a pilot. They did a pilot show called Apocalypse PA. And I did, they did like one or two episodes of it. And I don't know if it's still on or anything because what happened was the network that it was on, it's not like Discovery or something like that, didn't pick it up. But Glenn Beck and the Blaze TV picked them up. And they changed the name of it. I can't remember to what. It was an older gentleman, really cool guy. And uh, he was he was part of Glenn Beck's network for a while. And they changed the name of the show to something else. I can't remember what it's called. But in the pilot, the two-part pilot they did that was on the major networks, I saw that. And they made one of the things they did, a bunch of things they did, but one they made was some, they made some moonshine. And they, they basically used a lawnmower to crack corn, and it, it was pretty cool the way they did it. And they made themselves a little bit of moonshine. And he told me, I met this gentleman when I was on Glenn Beck's show. He was there, too, as a guest in the same show I was a guest on. And he told me that about six months after that show aired, an, an ATF agent knocked on his door and told him they had been monitoring them for six months to make sure that they weren't actually making moonshine and it had only been for that show and that he could have been arrested for that, but they decided that really didn't make a lot of sense. They, they understood it had been done for informational purposes only, but it was still illegal and not to do it again. Just take that to every one of these wilderness survival things that you watch where you think you're seeing something and realize in many instances you're not. Like I said, if someone's filming it, that someone's not going through the ordeal. And that means if that person, even if that person 
has a lot of integrity and sticks to doing it all themselves. If they need to be bailed out, they can be bailed out. Just, just understand that when you're making your decisions. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me remind you guys, you can help support this show by joining the Member Support Brigade. If you want to join the Member Support Brigade, and please do if you haven't yet, please renew if you've expired, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. You can see all the great benefits you get there. And uh, it, it only comes out to about 18 cents an episode. That's the way to look at your investment in our programming. But unlike PBS, who will send you, you know, you send them 100 bucks and they send you a $3 coffee mug, Uh, and, and thank you for your donation. We don't do donations here. We are an anarcho-capitalist organization here at the Survival Podcast, and I believe in value for value. So I've negotiated tons of discounts. Use a few of them a year, and you get your money back. I got a bunch of discounts on seeds and plants and stuff like that, by the way. I'm just saying, and it is that time of year, isn't it? Uh, next up, you can always support us at no real direct cost. By simply doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there, start your shopping there. No matter what you buy, you will help us out, no matter what it is. And if you uh, want to find something useful, you can look at all the reviews that I've done. They're all categorized there alphabetically. Uh, they go out, And the review of the day goes out every day in my Telegram. It goes out in my email list. It goes out on Parler and MeWe and the Discord channel. So any of those methods, you can stay in touch as well. And today's item of the day is one I'm bringing back around because it did really well last year. And tons of you have wrote me and said how, how awesome you think it is. And it's an inexpensive product. It's under 20 bucks. It is a Turkish-made folding harvesting and pruning knife. Um, these were actually made for harvesting and pruning grapevines. And basically, it's about the size of a really big pocket knife. It folds like that, and it has a, a, a slightly curved serrated, it's a back-cut serrated blade, so it cuts on the backstroke um, blade. And it re basically replaces, in my lineup of tools for the garden, a rice knife. A rice knife, a rice sickle, or serrated sickle, Hand sickle is what I've always recommended as your go-to tool with you know, weeding and gardening and precision and everything like that. And I've always loved them, and they're about 12 bucks. And, you know, they just, unless you really are re religious about taking care of them, they last a couple of years and kind of fall apart. They're cheaply made. This thing's built really well. And because it folds up, you can put it in your pocket without cutting the shit out of yourself, which the first time that I... Stuck one of those sickles with the sickle pointing backward, and I thought I was being cute, and I could do that, and uh, cut my hand on it. I, I don't do that anymore, and hence my sickles get left out by the garden and, and what have you. This thing folds up, sticks in your pocket, fits right in a pair of jean pockets. It's great. I got a video on it. You can see the scale and everything, and they're really nice. I, I, I finished a couple of them, but I ended up giving them away or trading them. Uh, I need to do a, a hand finish on the one that I, I have now. I used a... Uh, Birchwood Casey True Oil to seal in a dark walnut stain. It makes it really look nice and patinaed the, the blade with Perma Blue. Just Birchwood Casey Perma Blue. It worked great. Uh, so these are a great little tool. They've been made this way. The design is a thousand year old design and it hasn't changed. Um, there's only one supply of them that I've been able to find in the United States. It's from a company called Glittering Bazaar. And the last time I ran these last year, they sold out. They may again today. I don't know. Check them out. Um, again, it's a Turkish-made harvesting and pruning knife. Uh, really cool. Came to me as a recommendation from an audience member 
when I was talking about the rice knife and said, it's great except you can't put it in your pocket, it doesn't store well, there's no such thing as a good sheath for one of these things, like a belt sheath or whatever, and you know, I end up losing them because of that. And he said, hey, this is what I got, check it out. And uh, man, people have loved them. I've sold a few hundred of them, zero complaints. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day today. This song is by 38 Special, and I gotta say, it's probably wrong of us that we've not ever done a 38 Special song on TSP before. I think they're maybe one of the really underrated groups of the 70s, definitely. I uh, definitely really listened to them a lot when I was a young guy. Um, this one is, is a really great song, and many people in this audience probably have never heard it. It's called Just Hang Fact, Many people in this audience probably never heard a 38 Special song. Uh, this one's called Just Hang On. And it, it, it is exactly what it sounds like. In life, if you want to get somewhere, you got to pick what you want, and you got to just hang on until you get it. And it's advice that came to you know the, the guy singing the song anyway from his dad is, is the, how the lyrics play out. But I'll let that just be what it is, and we'll let you take your own life lessons from it today. I just thought of something really interesting when I was listening to this song today, though, during my show prep, in the intro chords, and... I was like, that song sounds like another song, right? That song sounds like another song. And it sounds like Tuesday's Gone with the Wind from Leonard Skinner. Now, I'm not saying that one ripped the other off or anything. And musicians use riffs and bars from other people's songs. All It happens all the time, more now than it did back then. Um, and it's not the same, but it's kind of the same. Um If you doubt me, listen to it, and then listen to Tuesday's Gone with the Wind from Skinner. You tell me if you don't think they sound quite similar with Aspen Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
It's on. 